talking benefits. 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 Talking. Talking. Talk a little bit about benefits. Yeah, benefits. Talking benefits. You are listening to Talking Benefits. Every month, we cover the top stories in retirement and healthcare, the latest benefits, hot topics, and whatever else the industry throws at us. I'm Justin Held. I'm Ann Patterson. I'm Julie Stick. And I'm Kelly Colesrude. Now let's talk benefits. Hey guys, what's your favorite thing about October? My dad's birthday. Oh, that's nice. Uh, the weather. I'm nice. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the weather and scary movies. Oh, I thought you were going to say flannel. Also Even though flannel. you're not wearing flannel today, Justin wears flannel almost I know. exclusively. I thought he'd the... say World Series. Oh, oh, so that's true. Series. Yeah. Yeah. I like carved pumpkins. Okay. I would say mine might be leaf peeping. I just love looking at the fall. Leaf peeping's a thing. Mm. It is a peeping <laughs> leaves. <laughs> it is. Just looking at the fall colors and enjoying that. And then, of course, Halloween is so fun, too. Everybody here kind of gets into it, and we do contests and everything. So, But actually, the month of October is also tied to a very important issue of mental health. Yeah, so each year we observe both Mental Illness Awareness Week, which is created by the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and World Mental Health Day, which was created by the World Health Organization. The goal of both the week and the day is to raise awareness about mental health issues and to mobilize efforts to support mental well-being. And if you'll remember, we kicked off 2019 with a three-part series on mental health and addiction and decided now to revisit that topic. Yes, and this month we're focusing on a sensitive and critical issue, which is the actual stigma surrounding mental illness. So let's mention here at the outset that some experts in this area prefer the use of the word discrimination rather than the word stigma. That said, we have decided to use the word stigma in this episode. There are two types of stigma in mental health. Internal, and that's the shame that an individual with mental illness may feel and external, and that's the way people with mental illness are perceived by others. Both types of stigma get in the way of positive action. And despite attempts to raise awareness, like World Mental Health Day, the Global Time to Change campaign, or even celebrities speaking out about their own mental health struggles, it could be singers like Lady Gaga, or actors like Kristen Bell, or Taraji P. Henson, even athletes like Michael Phelps or Brandon Marshall, the stigma surrounding these issues still exists. That's right. And it seems as though the enormity of the stigma may be fading just a little, especially for some conditions that might be more familiar and easier to discuss, whether it be depression or anxiety. That's true. But stigma is still very pervasive for less common or more severe conditions and for substance use disorder. Well, several of us had the opportunity this past spring to attend a presentation facilitated by Dr. David Goldblum. He's a Canadian psychiatrist who is a professor at the University of Toronto, as well as a senior medical advisor and instructor at the Centre for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto. He used a very effective technique to bring home the point of stigma. Oh, that's right. I remember. He first asked the audience to call out words that would describe someone who has been diagnosed with cancer. And so the words that were thrown out were things like courageous or strong, hero, and fighter. He then asked the audience to call out words to describe someone with mental illness. On the flip side, then, these words were things like weak or crazy, incapable, fragile, and pathetic. 
Wow, what a powerful exercise. I mean, no wonder there's a stigma. Yes, that's very true. These words are so indicative of the external stigma that still surrounds mental illness. And those words reinforce the internal stigma, the shame that an individual feels, that they are somehow weak or unable to cope or even at fault. And the sad thing is, well, one of the sad things about this, because there's a lot of different sad things about this, is that we all know that mental illness is an illness and mental health is health, just like physical health is health. Right. And we know that mental illness can truly affect anyone, no matter their age, culture, income level, gender, or achievements. It does not discriminate. One in four people have a mental health condition. So that means if you yourself aren't affected by your own mental illness, you probably know somebody who is. Right. And the stigma is such that people often take great pains to mask their symptoms of mental illness out of fear of judgment or discrimination. It prevents people who are suffering from talking about it and sometimes even seeking out help for themselves. And there's also privacy uh, concerns that keep employers and coworkers from discussing with each other. That's right, Justin. And employees might be in denial about having a mental health issue. They might be uncertain whether the issue they face might require mental health treatment, or they may know exactly what's wrong, but they're afraid or hesitant to admit it. Yeah, and many of these uncertainties were highlighted in our foundation's 2018 survey results on mental health and addiction. Stigma impacts the ability of employers to implement and advance uh, workplace mental health initiatives. For example, the number one barrier cited by employers is that workers fear admitting a problem will negatively impact their job security. Workers also worry about confidentiality, and another challenge is that supervisors are uncomfortable addressing mental health and addiction issues with workers who they suspect may have an issue. So for our January episode, I spoke with Randy Kratz, Senior Account Manager with FEI Behavioral Health, a workforce resiliency organization that provides EAP, crisis management, and workplace violence prevention services. Here's what we discussed about stigma and how employers can deal with it. And then we also discussed peer support programs. So let's take a listen. Welcome. Thanks for being here with us today, Randy. Well, thanks for having me, Julie. What can employers do to help fight the negative stigmas that are connected to mental illness that may prevent workers from seeking mental health treatment before their illness triggers a crisis? It's interesting that this question still gets asked. Obviously, there's a need. The best way, I think, is to partner up with an organization like an EAP, not just look at it as a a benefit or a commodity Mm -hmm. that's a phone number on a website or on a poster, that it's actually a partnership you have and that you work together, especially with middle management where you come together and you help them understand how they can provide an environment that's safe, that's trustworthy, that provides choices for people, that's collaborative, and that is empowering. And I guess the thing that it starts with, again, is leadership, that they have to go first. Mm -hmm. And maybe a sense of transparency, a willingness to talk about that. So we know that stigmas get lowered or even taken away when people feel safe to talk about those things where they're not going to have that held against them. They're going to realize that's a normal part of being human. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I think it's important that we create that sort of environment. And what's interesting is when you create an environment that's that way, then you can really discern between what is really a personal problem and what is a performance problem. It'll become much clearer than 
as an HR person mm -hmm. to be able to then look at how do I hold this person accountable because the environment helps you sort of diagnose that and figure that out. Well, that's so. a great point. And I think it's important for an organization to have that uh, culture of trust so that if the employee doesn't feel comfortable maybe going to their direct manager, that there's at least someone in their organization they can go to, whether it's someone in HR or a colleague or a, the manager of their manager or something, but have that, that there's a trust somewhere that they can go to. That's a really good point, Julie. In this part of my career, I've been really working with first responders, mm -hmm. people who protect the public safety, right? Mm -hmm. Law enforcement, fire. And one of the things that they have is peer support programs, mm -hmm. and many of them on a formal basis, mm -hmm. right? So as you said, they have those sanctuaries. That's what I think we need to be getting back to, provide those either formal or informal peer support places or, or opportunities. I was intrigued by Randy's discussion of peer support, and it reminded me of a case study that I learned about during a focus group a couple of years back. Peer support mental health programs have been evolving as a strategy to help support a psychosocially safe environment. We all found that concept really interesting, so we looked into it further, and these programs typically involve a group of workers who have actually been through mental health struggles in the past, so they have a deeper understanding of the issues. Many workers may not feel comfortable going to their supervisors, and many supervisors don't feel comfortable addressing the issue with their employees. So these peer support groups really reduce some of the barriers workers might have in connecting to mental health resources offered through their workplaces because they have a real person who has been through it before explaining everything to them. It is important to note, though, that this doesn't replace professional support through human resources, benefit providers, or doctors. But the peer supporter can act as a catalyst for encouraging access to professional resources. And obviously, all peer supporters should follow clear guidelines and have appropriate initial and ongoing training. Kelly, in addition, these peer support programs could be a conduit to other professional resources that you have mentioned, such as an EAP. Good point. Peer support groups are one example of how employers can establish an accepting culture that normalizes mental health care and creates an environment of openness. There are so many facets of mental health that employers should consider, too many to cover in one episode. So we invite you to tune in to recently recorded Foundation webcasts to round out your knowledge. Check out the webcast entitled Suicide Prevention, What About the Workplace? which is available for a limited time to Foundation members and non-members at no cost. Foundation members also have exclusive access to other recorded webcasts that cover mental health compliance, managing the cost of mental health, and the benefits of early intervention and treatment. Visit ifabp.org webcasts to view and access all available webcasts. And we are back. So we've already mentioned EAPs and peer support groups. How can employers use these to help break down stigma in a workplace? And are there any other methods that can be used? Well, to start, it's crucial that the employer provide mental health treatment benefits. For example, prescription drug therapies and inpatient and outpatient access to a mental health professional. Definitely. So assuming medical treatment is available, what's necessary to combat the stigma that's attached with it? 
It seems to me that education and communication are key, both for the employee with mental illness as well as for colleagues and managers. Right. And what's so important is being able to talk openly about these issues, and that will help take away the shame that surrounds them. And that's why peer support programs can be successful. Individuals are willing to share their stories of living with mental illness, either their own or that of a loved one. And it doesn't even have to be that formal. It can actually be one person who's willing to share with colleagues, perhaps during a lunch break, that he or she's been visiting a counselor for depression or sharing a story about their brother's addiction. Talking about these issues brings them into the light. And employers can educate their employees about mental health issues. As Randy mentioned in our interview with him, EAPs can be a resource for both employees and for managers. And speaking of managers, employers can provide supervisory training on how to both identify and speak with an employee in crisis. Another idea is for employers to hold workshops and lunch and learn sessions for all employees on mental health issues. Not only do employees learn from what's being presented, but they have a chance to ask questions and have a dialogue. This reinforces that it's okay to share, and even the fact that you've held these sessions goes a long way to create that caring and supportive culture that's necessary to break down the stigma. According to experts, one of the best ways to reduce stigma is through educational sessions where people with mental illness speak, weaving together their own personal stories with mental health facts and figures. And interestingly, experts are exploring whether videos of people sharing their stories can also be effective. That's right, Julie. And speaking of videos, employers can also heighten awareness with other communication channels that aren't necessarily interactive, but they can be more private, such as videos, live-streamed or recorded presentations, posters hung up at work, email messages, text messages, brochures, or uh, newsletters. This type of education can share information and give contact information for other available resources. We talked earlier about creating a supportive work environment where it's okay to talk about mental health. Other than providing mental health benefits, training, and educational resources, what else can employers do? Well, one of our colleagues, Lois Gleason, wrote an amazing blog post on this very topic last June. She says, quote, Start by cultivating an open, friendly workplace where people feel safe talking about mental health issues if they want to. Strive for a workplace culture that discourages shaming and belittling and instead promotes teamwork and respect. Employees watch company leaders. Workplace culture trickles down from the top. Effective leaders know this and treat all employees with genuine respect. I seriously recommend reading Lois's full blog post. We've put a link to it in the show notes, so check it out. So everyone agrees, mental health care is health care, and we all have a responsibility to address this issue, whether it's in the workplace, in our family, or in our social circle. It's a human issue. In talking to one of our members on this topic, he called it the last taboo. Let's join with others in breaking this taboo. Let's talk and let's listen. We want to once again thank our subject matter expert, Randy Kratz, for his time and expertise on this very important topic. Thank you all for listening, and we'll be back in your podcast feeds soon. If you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes. It helps others find the podcast. And subscribe to it in iTunes, the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you prefer, so that our episodes will automatically appear on your mobile device. Today's program is copyrighted in 2019 by the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans, 
all rights reserved. The opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers and not to be used as legal counsel. Okay, I'm going to cough yeah. first. Let me have oh. a cough. Kelly's <laughs> coughing. <laughs> Let's let Kelly have a cough. Yeah, okay. Is everybody coughed out? <laughs> uh.